Open with me tonight in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter number 18. Now, I am conscious of the time, and uh, I don't want you to get nervous, uh, because the clock don't make me nervous, so it shouldn't make you nervous. But uh, <clears throat> I am aware of the time. I'll try to do everything I can within the confines of the guidance of the Spirit of God to be brief tonight. Ezekiel chapter number 18, I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. The Word of God says this, The Word of the Lord came unto me again, saying, What mean ye that ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge? As I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion any more to use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. But if a man be just, and do that which is lawful and right, hath not eaten upon the mountains, neither hath lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, neither hath defiled his neighbor's wife, neither hath come near to a menstruous woman, hath not oppressed any, but hath restored to the debtor his pledge, hath spoiled none by violence, hath given his bread to the hungry, and hath covered the naked with a garment, He that hath not given forth upon usury, neither hath taken any increase, that hath withdrawn his hand from iniquity, hath executed true judgment between man and man, hath walked in my statutes, and hath kept my judgments to deal truly. He is just, he shall surely live, saith the Lord God. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you tonight. Thank you for your goodness in my life, Lord. You've always been faithful to me. I want to praise you for your faithfulness. You're just as good to me today as every day that I've ever lived, and I thank you for it. I pray that you'd stir each heart in a way that draws closer unto thee. We love you, Lord, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I want to preach to you tonight on three words very quickly before we close. The first word is the word responsibility. The second word is the word accountability. And the third word is the word possibility. In Ezekiel chapter number 18, God addresses what had become a common proverb and saying in ancient Israel. Uh, they would say one to another uh, whenever they saw a person that was in iniquity, a person that was in sin, uh, they had a little saying that they would say. They would say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. What they meant by this was that A person's actions were not his responsibility, but rather that of his upbringing, that of his raising, that of those that had influence in his life. In other words, the fathers had eaten the sour grapes, but the effects of it, the the, uh, teeth being set on edge or being gritted together or being uh, their mouth sort of being upturned and their lips puckered would be felt by the children. Uh, We know that the Bible says that uh, one of God's uh, statements upon the children of Israel is that For a time being, the sins of the fathers would be visited upon children to the third and the fourth generation. But this precept and this concept had become a proverb amongst the children of Israel such that any time they'd see anybody doing anything wrong, they would absolve them from personal responsibility and would instead blame their ancestors. More commonly, if a person was living in sin, instead of accepting personal responsibility, instead of saying, I've made this decision, I've chosen to do this, only I can change it, they would blame their forefathers. They would say, well, we're in this mess because the decisions that they made. We're experiencing the chastening of God because the decisions that they've made. And it is merely our destiny. We cannot break out of the cyclical bondage of our upbringing, of our raising, or of the behavior of others. 
This had bred in the children of Israel an attitude of apathy and a paralyzed spiritual condition. You've got to remember that much of Ezekiel's prophecy was given leading up to the final destruction of, uh, of Jerusalem. And all the while, Ezekiel and Jeremiah are prophesying, warning the children of Judah, saying you need to turn to the Lord, you need to turn to the Lord, you need to obey the Lord, destruction is coming, destruction is coming. And instead of responding, they said to themselves, well, there's nothing we can do about it. This is our course, this is our direction, and all we can do is just sit here and complain and mope and be miserable. God rebukes this attitude and reminds them that their actions are their own and that they and they alone can choose to repent, to turn to God, and to do the right thing. You know, and I don't really have an introduction, but let me just make a few short statements. We live in a day where personal accountability is a rare virtue. In our modern culture, victimhood is the currency of the day. There was a time when things like bravery, things like courage, things like honesty, things like virtue were the things that elevated a person in society. Today, victimhood has all but replaced all of those things. If you're a victim of something, then you're never called upon to reconcile your behavior. You're never called upon to uh, adjust the way that you're living. Everything can be blamed back on those that have victimized you. Uh, just a cursory glance, and you got better things to do in the middle of the day, and so do I, but just a cursory glance of the daytime talk shows, we'll see. There's always somebody on there blaming mama, blaming daddy, blaming somebody for the way their life is. This was the, the climate in ancient Israel leading up to destruction. And God rebukes that notion, and He tells them that they'll no longer be able to use that as an excuse. Now, I want you to notice why God says this, And I want you to notice these three words very quickly tonight. Look at verse number 4. He says, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. He begins giving them this reason for why they cannot blame others for their problems. He begins with a word of responsibility. And he reminds them that every single person in three ways belongs to God. Or every person in two ways. And then those that know the Lord belong in a third way. You know, how many times have you heard people say things like this? Well, it's my life. I'll live it however I want. Or they'll say things like, well, only God can judge me. And you wonder, do they really believe that one day He will? The mantra of modern day society is, it's my life, I'll live it however I want. I don't have any accountability or responsibilities to any person. The whole driving force behind atheistic, secular, evolutionary humanism is the notion of removing God as an authority in our lives. Uh, Psychological and societal evolution predates quote-unquote scientific evolution. In other words... Scientific evolution is a, is an answer in search of a question. Uh, man decided before uh, Darwin ever went to the Galapagos Islands, man decided he didn't want the yoke of God's authority on his life. And, and uh, psychological evolution was already uh, rampant and common uh, in, in Europe before Darwin ever wrote Origin of the Species. So what are you getting at, preacher? I'm saying that what he wrote in Origin of the Species was an excuse for mankind that had already sought to throw off the yoke of God's authority. And it's not the other way around. We're taught today it's the other way around. We're taught, well, the science says this, so we just have to believe this and so on and so forth. Science don't even say that. But even if it did, 
it would not be an excuse for us to absolve ourselves of our responsibility. God says all souls are mine. Your soul, my soul. Your children's soul, your parents' soul. Every one of them belongs to God. And because of that, mankind has a responsibility to live in obedience to God. Your life is not your own. It's bought with a price. It comes from your Creator. It comes from your Maker. And you have a responsibility to Him in three ways. First, as your Creator, you have a responsibility. You are not just a mass of cells that has slimed its way out of some uh, ancient and uh, proverbial mud puddle and has managed to sprout legs and a mind and opposable digits and walk around. You're a human being created in the image of God. He's your creator. And as such, you being his creature, you have a responsibility to him. Uh, God would say in the book of Isaiah and in the book of Jeremiah that the clay has no right to question the potter. In other words, the person that created it has authority over it, has the, the decision over it. And uh, I believe that Ezekiel is pointing to the fact here of the Lord is through Ezekiel that if, if for no other reason at a basic fundamental level, because you draw a breath, because you are made in the image of God, you have a responsibility to God as your creator to live in, in keeping with his tenets. Not only as your creator, but as your master. He says, all souls are mine, not only because he created them, but because in pragmatic, effectual point in fact, He is the authority of life. One day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And because of that, because He is the master of the universe, because He has the authority of all things, He's the one that hung the stars in the darkness. He's the one that makes the planets spin. Uh, Paul said, by Him all things consist, meaning holding together. And because He is the very essence and origin of authority and order and force and will, you have a responsibility to obey Him. He is your master, whether you like it or not. He's not every man's savior, but He's every man's master. When this thing winds up, there's a great white throne. The Ancient of Days sits upon it, and He exacts judgment, executes authority upon all those that have ever drawn a breath. As your master, you have a responsibility to him, but also for those of us that know the Lord, we have a responsibility to him as our savior. He says all souls are mine because he created all of them. He says all souls are mine because effectually speaking, he has the authority over them. But he says all souls are mine because he paid a blood price for every single person. He's the savior of all men, Paul said, especially of those that believe. That means he paid the price for every man. He tasted death for every man. And therefore, he has a, 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 a spiritual, righteous, just claim on every single person. But he does not enforce his will or superimpose his will on others. For those of us that have accepted Christ as our Savior, in the most intimate of senses, we owe him our lives. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in body and in spirit. Christian has no right to say it's my life because it's not your life. You had no life. He gave you life. And you owe that life to Him. I know and I'm thankful that none of us can go back to the deadness of life that we had before we knew Christ. But I'd also posit this, that anybody that knows the Lord wouldn't want to. 
If you want that old dead life back, you, you can't have it back. You wouldn't want it back. But why would you want it back? He's given us life and life more abundant. And because of that, your life is not your own. You don't get to run your life. God gets to run your life. Now listen, there's a lot of nuance relative to our submission to Him and His loving compassion and care over us. But let let it never be lost in all of that nuance, in all of that tenderness that God exhibits to His children. Let it never be lost that He has an authoritative right to every square millimeter of our lives because He paid for it. He bought it. He owns you. He paid the price for your soul. So Ezekiel says... We have a responsibility. But then look at the end of verse 4. He says this, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. He gives us a word of accountability. In other words, we not only have a responsibility to God, but one day there will be a reckoning will be brought into account for how we live for the Lord. And he says a few things here. One, we see a word of distinction. He says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Now, this is the overall theme of what he's getting at, and we're going to get into it a little more before we close. But he's getting at the fact that those that are disobedient to the Lord will be judged because of it. Those that are obedient to the Lord will be blessed because of it. But what he's getting at is because your soul belongs to God, your soul will one day give an account. And you can't point the finger at everybody else. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. In other words, you and I are going to give an account for how we lived. And we won't be able to point at anyone else when we stand before Christ. We'll stand there alone. Our lives, our sins laid bare before Him. And we'll have to give an account for what we've done with our life. see a word of distinction, it shall die. I see a word of determination. He says, it shall die. Not maybe it will. Not possibly it will. Not there's an outside chance it will. He says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Some of you are saying, well, preacher, my theological concept and understanding reminds me that Christ has paid for all my sins. He has. Because of that, we don't have to die a second death. I'm thankful for it. But the overall idea here still applies even to born-again, justified, safe, secure believers, which is that one day there'll be an account given. One day we will have to answer to Him. Paul said we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all give an account for the things done in the body, whether they be good or whether they be bad. One day, and I know it seems like a long ways away from you, but one day you'll stand at the Bema seat and you'll have to answer for how you've lived your life. So will I. I'll have to give an account for what I've done, how I've lived. And a just God will preside over those hearings. I see a determination but then I see a word of destruction. It says it shall die. There's going to be a payment have to be made. Now, again, some of y'all that are better theologians than me are saying, but now wait a minute, preacher. Christ has paid for my sins. He has. And let me remind you that for the lost person, they die in that sin. And they die in that death. And they uh, absolve or they, uh, they, they uh, appropriate unto themselves the punishment for their sin because they push away and reject the only hope that they have in Christ. So there's an application even in this day of grace for those that are lost. But there's also an application for the believer, which is that on that day, it won't just be pomp and circumstance. Paul said, on that day, some will suffer loss. That doesn't mean we'll die in our sins if we've been born again. It doesn't mean that God's going to throw us into hell. Those that are saved have been sanctified forever. 
by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He's perfected forever them which are sanctified. But let me remind you that on that day, it is a true reckoning for how we've lived the life that Christ has given us. And Paul says on that day, some will suffer loss. Some will have to look at opportunities that have been squandered and mistakes that have been made and have to give an answer for it. He gives a word of accountability. And then finally, and I'll be done tonight, I see a word, and this ought to encourage us. You can read this passage, you can get real discouraged. Or you can read this passage and get encouraged. Because I see a word of possibility. Now he says in verse number 4, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. But, he says this, But if a man be just, and do that which is lawful and right, down in verse 9 says, Hath walked in my statutes, hath kept my judgments to deal truly. He is just, he shall surely live, saith the Lord God. And he, he explains a little further. He says, if he beget a son that is a robber, a shedder of blood, and that doeth the like to any one of these things, and that doeth not any of those duties, but even hath eaten upon the mountains, and defiled his neighbor's wife, hath oppressed the poor and needy, hath spoiled by violence, hath not restored the pledge, and hath lifted up his eyes to the idols, hath committed abomination, hath given forth upon usury, and hath taken increase, shall he then live? God says he shall not live. He hath done all these abominations, he shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him. He goes and gives us another example. Now, lo, if he beget a son that seeth all his father's sins, which he hath done, and considereth and doeth not such like, that hath not eaten upon the mountains, neither hath lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, hath not defiled his neighbor's wife, neither hath oppressed any, hath not withholden the pledge, neither hath spoiled by violence, but hath given his bread to the hungry, and hath covered the naked with a garment, that hath taken off his hand from the poor, that hath not received usury nor increase, hath executed my judgments, hath walked in my statutes, he shall not die for the iniquity of his father." He shall surely live. And he summarizes it by saying, As for his father, because he cruelly oppressed, spoiled his brother by violence, and did that which is not good among his people, lo, even he shall die in his iniquity. Yet yet say ye, why? Doth not the son bear the iniquity of the father, when the son hath done that which is lawful and right, and hath kept all my statutes, and hath done them? He shall surely live. The soul that sinneth, he reiterates, it shall die. The Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon Him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon Him. Now, I know we read a lot there, but I want you to notice that what Ezekiel and what the Lord through Ezekiel is saying here is this, that within every single person's will and free agency, there is the possibility to define and plot out the course of our life. You don't have to allow your past to define you. You don't have to allow your upbringing to define you. You don't have to allow your family or you don't have to allow your uh, past friends or you don't have to allow whatever you perceive to be obstacles or handicaps to your life to define who you are in Jesus Christ. There is a possibility, number one, of faithfulness. Listen, you might have been raised in a drunkard's home, but you don't have to be a drunkard. You might have been raised in an addict's home, but you don't have to be an addict. You might have been abused, but you don't have to abuse people. You don't have to uh, put destruction into the lives of others. You might have been raised in a home that didn't know nothing about God, but that don't mean you can't know God in a personal way and in a powerful way. God's saying you're accountable for your life. And that means the possibilities are endless. 
They're as great as the promises of God. And if you choose to be faithful to the Lord, then you can be faithful to the Lord. Somebody will say, preacher, I've already messed up, though. Well, God deals with that. Verse 21, he says, But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. All his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he hath done, shall he live. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? There's a possibility in this passage of faithfulness, but there's also a possibility of forgiveness. So, preacher, I've already messed up. I've already set the course of my life. Oh, listen, grace, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You may have messed up, but there's forgiveness in the Lord. Don't use your past mistakes as a crutch and as a as an anesthetic to force you or allow you or permit you to live a life of disobedience to the Lord. You may have made mistakes, but you don't have to keep on making them. You may have messed up, but you don't have to stay messed up. By the grace of God, you can get right and stay right. I'll give you a sobering thought to close. Look at verse 24. But when the righteous turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, shall he live? All his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned. In his trespass that he hath trespassed, and in his sin that he hath sinned, and then shall he die. There's a possibility in these passages of faithfulness. Even if you've grown up in a mess, even if you've made mistakes in the past, you can be faithful. There's a possibility of forgiveness. You might have sinned, but God will forgive you. But oh, let me sober you for a moment, Christian. There's also a possibility of failure. Just because you've been right don't mean you'll stay right. Just because you've been walking with God, that don't mean you're always going to walk with God. See, the truth is, we never outgrow our need of effectual dependence on the Lord. You need Him more today than you've ever needed Him. And we can look at other people and say, boy, look at them, they're over in the ditch because of how they were raised, or they're out in the world because of the people that were around them, or they're out in the world because they never walked with God in the first place. But i got news for you, there's people out in the world today, life is a mess, and it wasn't because of how they was raised, and it wasn't because of their friends, and it wasn't because they never walked with God, it wasn't because they were never genuine, it was because they had all those things, but they made the decision one day to allow sin into their life. It could be you. It could be me. It could be any of us. There's a possibility of failure, but there is a possibility of faithfulness. It's us that decides what we want our life to be. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. I want God's people to feel liberty to come and pray this evening. Whatever burdens you may have on your heart, a lot of y'all mentioned things in prayer request time. I mentioned some things I'm burdened over. I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for your church family. And it could be that there's some folks that have made some mistakes and the devil's been using that to club them over the head. Won't you come down and ask God's forgiveness and make your mind up that you're not going to let the devil define who you're going to be. You're going to let Christ define it. Might be some folks that have dealt with some obstacles, some hardships, some things they thought they could never overcome. Listen, I can't make you or help you overcome them, but the Lord is sufficient. Won't you come and ask His help, His grace, His His forgiveness. There might be some folks here tonight that thought it could never be them, but oh, it could be any of us. Why don't you ask the Lord to keep you humble and keep you close to the cross?